Greetings to all of you from the television studio here in Charlotte. Uh, thank you, Miss Oral, for that wonderful Malaguena, one of my favorite piano pieces. It's wonderful to be connected around the world to all our brothers and sisters in Christ and their families. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 3 and 4, that he couldn't be with them in physical presence, but he said he was with them in spirit. So we're joined together today in spirit in this fasting day, and we thank all of you, brethren, for your support of the headquarters team and the council of elders, and particularly our presiding evangelist, Mr. Gerald Weston. The church has always faced challenges. When we take a look at the past, we realize how has the church survived all these centuries and millennia? Uh, Christ is the head of the church, and we're members of his body, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Today, we're humbling ourselves before God in this church-wide fast. We all understand that we're not fasting to try to convince God to follow our agenda. And there are times, of course, that we fast because of a particular trial, and God has brought us through those trials. And many of you, brethren, can tell stories of God's intervention and how his mercy when we've fasted and humbled ourselves. But we want to fast to examine ourselves, as we heard in the sermonette, and also to seek God's will. To realize that, yes, there is that Satan, the devil, who is out to attack the church and has tried to do that through the centuries and millennia, and will still try to do that very powerfully in the future. So we need to be prepared for the future. We need to examine ourselves and make sure that we're staying on the right track of God's purpose and mission. So in today's sermon, I want to cover three major perspectives from God's Word and consider the challenges that the church has faced over the years. So let's consider three major perspectives. Lessons, commitment, and mission. Christ has given us the Great Commission, and He's given us all the power to fulfill that mission as well. On our journey to the kingdom, we need to be careful that we don't fall on the side of the road, but we need to stay right on the direct path toward the kingdom, the goal He set us, and stay on the right track. We must keep moving forward. And that's the title of the sermon today, Moving Forward. Some churches of God are not moving forward. They're moving sideways or they're moving backwards. Turn to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. Uh, 1 Peter 4 and verse 17. 1 Peter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begin with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We, years ago, we had a sermon titled, Churches Under Judgment. One minister that I talked to years ago of a different fellowship uh, said, Does Living Church of God consider our fellowship Laodicea? I said, No. Uh, Dr. Meredith had said, There are Philadelphians in your, your fellowship, and there are Laodiceans in the Living Church of God. Well, uh, that that seemed to uh, make that particular pastor uh, happy and understand. But we have to judge ourselves. We are the Philadelphians and, and the remnant of the Philadelphia church striving to go forward and to fulfill the Great Commission. We have to keep moving towards the kingdom. Turn to Philippians 
the third chapter, Philippians 3 here, it tells us that we need to keep forward, keep going forward. And in fact, uh, Mr. McNair mentioned that in the sermonette, to keep going forward. Philippians, the third chapter, uh, starting with verse 12. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, brethren, we need to press towards that goal. Thank God that he's giving us the wisdom and the guidance, and even today, guiding us to humble ourselves so that we can learn lessons and go forward. But we need to judge ourselves, and we need to press forward toward that goal that he's given us. It tells us in Matthew 24, 13, I won't turn there, but he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. So we're moving forward. We're going forward. The church of God has always faced challenges. So what lessons can we learn from the past? We'll turn to Matthew 16 and verse 17. Matthew 16 and verse 17. Mr. Wallace Smith covered this uh, last week in his sermonette. Uh, it's a promise that should give us faith and encouragement. Matthew 16 and verse 17. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, or little Petros, a little stone. And on this rock, Petra, the very Christ who is the cornerstone of the church. And on this rock, I will build my church. Christ is still building his church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Brethren, that should encourage us, give us assurance that Christ is still active. And whatever happens, he says, the gates of the grave will not prevail against his church. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we thank God that he's given us the direction and the guidance and the promise that the gates of the grave will not prevail against the church. So first I'd like to talk about lessons from the church challenges. Uh, let's consider some elements in this church wild fast. We want to learn lessons from the church challenges. Number one, we want to strengthen our commitment. Number two, and number three, we need to fulfill Christ's commission. So first of all, let's start off with the lessons from church challenges. There are a multitude of saints that have given their lives over the millennia, have been even martyrs. And God, but God's church is still alive and well. And they were actively serving the head, Jesus Christ, who is alive. And we look forward to meeting him, of course, at the seventh trumpet. During the nearly six, six day, decades of the church that I've been a, a minister and in, in the church, I've witnessed many challenges to the church. And some of you older brethren have as well. 
And yet we've endured those 60 years or so. How? Because Christ promises that the gates of the grave will not prevail against his church. During the challenges of 1977 and 1978, Mr. Herbert Armstrong experienced congestive heart failure. And some liberal leaders were taking advantage of his sickness. Uh, he recovered from that heart failure, but it took some time. And some pointed to an interesting coincidence of a restaurant that was bordering the campus there in Pasadena, right near the railroad tracks. It was a restaurant in a railroad car called the Loose Caboose. And it seemed to reflect the doctrinal trends that were going from the liberal leadership of the church while Mr. Armstrong was recovering from his congestive heart failure. But Mr. Armstrong recovered, and he began to put the church back on the right track. In the Good News magazine, September 11, 1978, he writes, And now, the plain truth being set back on track. So now the plain truth was being set back on the right track. I'm quoting from the article. Since last May, I have been moving swiftly to set the Church of God back on the track as God's Church. I have set the radio and television programs back on God's track. Secularism and the leaven of modern intellectualism and PhDism had turned Ambassador College in just an, to a, just another of this world's colleges. To set it back on the track, I have had to start all over again, as in 1947, with one single undergraduate freshman class. I've had to put in charge those who were taught God's revealed knowledge under me in the earlier years. I hope that, and my personal very uh, frank taking of the forms will, within a year, set Ambassador College back on the track as God's college. In all this, Mr. Armstrong writes, I deeply appreciate and am grateful from the heart for the loyalty and the standing solidly behind me of all you in the ministry in this difficult task. Mr. Armstrong recovered from that congestive heart failure. He became stronger. And he wrote in the Worldwide News, April 23rd, 1979. And now, Christ sets the church on God's organizational track. I'll read this uh, to you. He writes, For a full year now, the head of God's church, Jesus Christ, has been moving swiftly to set God's church, college, and work back on God's track. Why did the living Christ 20 months ago bring me back from death? For of a truth, I was as dead as any has ever been. For from twenty, for from thirty seconds up to one and a half minutes, I had been without breathing. Had not desperate measures been taken, I would have never taken another breath of air. So God intervened in Mr. Armstrong's life. He continues in the Worldwide News article. Why did Christ, the living head of the church, bring me back? I know now by what he has done these twenty months. God had a great purpose. He is working out here on earth, in and through mortal humans. He works through those who he has called and chosen for various responsibilities in his overall purpose. Well, Mr. Armstrong, through Christ, or Christ through him, uh, put the church back on the track. And it's interesting that the 
restaurant near the campus called the Loose Caboose. After Mr. Armstrong got the church back on the track, the, church, the restaurant changed its name from the Loose Caboose to the right track. Now, maybe that's just coincidence, uh, but uh, just a, an interesting coincidence. So several of us in this past week uh, reviewed the first draft, the video draft of the Behind the Work video that you'll be seeing during the Feast of Tabernacles this year. Uh, Mr. Weston hosts the regional pastors, the regional directors who uh, give the reports of their various regions around the world. Mr. Rob Tyler, regional director of Australasia, was commenting on the positive leadership of the church. He expressed appreciation to the brethren for Mr. Weston's leadership and how he was keeping the church on the right track. So I thought that was an interesting comment by Mr. Tyler. So today, just as Mr. as in Mr. Armstrong day, we strive to move ahead, fulfilling God's work, fulfilling God's will, and staying on the right track. So what is the lesson of the experience of challenges to the church over the past? The lesson is that we trust the real and powerful active of the head of the church, Christ Jesus. He's the head of his body. And the, we have faced challenges and we will continue to face challenges in the future. But as we already read in Matthew 16, 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of the grave or Hades will not prevail against it. So we thank God for that. If you want to turn to Matthew, the 28th chapter, uh, Matthew 28. Here again, it is called uh, the Great Commission, Matthew uh, 28, and starting with uh, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, Christ is the word. And as it tells us in Hebrews 1, he sustains the universe, or sustains all things, and the Greek means the universe, by the word of his power. Now that's our Savior, and he's the one who's ahead of this work. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Verse 19, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But we thank God that Christ is with us. That's a promise. And he also has a promise, I won't turn there, but Hebrews 13, 5. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I know sometimes, brethren, when I feel down, uh, I claim God's promise. That he will not leave me. And he will not forsake us. He will not forsake his church. And we're thankful that we have a mission and we know that Christ is going, coming at the seventh trumpet and we want, we're preparing the church, the world, and ourselves for that great event. So, brethren, the church has always met challenges. We don't have time to discuss the later apostasy of the Worldwide Church of God uh, years after Mr. Armstrong's death. But Dr. Meredith was forced out of that apostasy and began to revive God's work with the global church of God. And the fruits demonstrated that Jesus Christ was backing his evangelist in doing so. 
And then there was the disruption of December 1998, when a church board, a conspiracy is my words, ousted Dr. Meredith from the Global Church of God. 75 to 80% of the members and ministers followed Dr. Meredith to establishing the Living Church of God, of which you are now a part. So what lessons do we need to learn from the church? Challenges of the past, a number one perspective. Faithful ministers and faithful members stand strong in times of challenge. The church will always face challenge, but we trust Christ to lead his body, the church, and we thank God for you faithful brethren who recognize where Christ is working. We have Christ's own promise, I will build my church. Are you a solid member of that church? Let's consider now a second perspective, strengthen our commitment. During each church fast, we humble ourselves before God. We don't fast politically to try to persuade God to join our cause, but we humble ourselves to ask God to guide us and correct us, as we heard of the sermonette, and to put us on the right track. And many of you, brethren, have seen God's intervention in your lives and deliverance in serious situations because you had to humble yourself in those crises. The global pandemic has changed lives and routines dramatically. Uh, one of my friends, uh, not in the church, uh, wrote the following. I am personally blessed to be able to spend more time, more quality time with my loved ones, spend more time enjoying my home and community, eating well at home, exercising daily and focusing on things that actually matter. Now, this is someone not in the church. While I look forward to life normalizing, I feel blessed many of us were able to stop and smell the roses, help those who are less fortunate, and reconnect with important values that actually matter. I wish all those that are suffering comfort. I wish all of us opportunity to reevaluate our priorities and potentially reassess our goals and objectives. Well, God has given us those goals and those objectives, but it's up to us to make sure that we're choosing the right priorities. So during the annual festivals, we often ask ourselves, how dedicated are we to God's work? You might turn to 1 John 1, or 1 John, the first chapter. We also conclude when we evaluate ourselves, and we see our weaknesses, we see our needs, that we need the sacrifice of Christ. We need to be forgiven, and God promises that forgiveness. 1 John 1 and verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. So before Passover year, we conclude that we need his sacrifice. And he promises us in 1 John 1, 1, 9 to confess our sins and he will be faithfully forgive us our sins. So we examine ourselves when we are humbling ourselves. But we ask ourselves, are we solidly committed? Are we deeply dedicated to the work God has given us? In the world ahead of August 13th, two days ago, uh, Mr. Weston gave this admonition regarding our fasting. Quote, 
Let us focus our fasting on what each of us can change. Ask yourself, what is wrong with me? Let us learn to love one another. I hope we'll respond to that admonition from Mr. Weston. So who among us is so perfect that we don't need to change? Around Passover time, I asked my wife, if there's one thing you feel I should change, what would it be? Uh, she's sometimes tempted to tell me more than one thing. But it tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. 1 Corinthians 11, 31, If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So how else can we examine ourselves? One helpful article in the March-April 2009 Living Church News titled, Self-Examination, a Vital Key to Growth. And you can access that article on lcg.org. Uh, just go on the search icon at the upper right and type in that title. With the title is Self-Examination, a Vital Key to Growth, and the article will appear on the website. Self-examination takes courage. But the fruits of self-examination are encouraging. Of course, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, you know, is a correction with love chapter. Hebrews 12 and verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So... We need to examine ourselves and realize what do I need to change and make a determination with God's help to be an overcomer. Then there's uh, the 10 different areas of self-examination. I'll just mention them quickly. They're in that article on the uh, self-examination of vital key uh, to growth. But number one is repentance. I've often said many times that, brethren, one of the greatest characteristics we must always have is always be able to repent, to take correction, and to respond to that correction. Turn to 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, 2 Corinthians 7. And here, the Apostle Paul had sent this very corrective letter, 1 Corinthians, and now in 2 Corinthians they had responded to the correction and even the one sinner that had been ostracized was welcomed back into the church and here he said you repented but you didn't have a a worldly sorrow which leads to death you had a godly sorrow and so we need to make sure and i pray for a godly sorrow let's look at the characteristics here in second corinthians 7 verse 10 for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. For the sorrow of the world works death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What were the fruits of godly sorrow? Are those fruits in your life? What diligence it produced in you? What clearing of yourselves? What indignation? Yes, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, as it tells us in Proverbs 8 and verse 13. Indignation. 
to cry and sigh for the abominations that are committed, as it tells us in Ezekiel, the ninth chapter. What indignation, what fear to have that godly fear. We, Dr. Meredith often said that, that those uh, leaders and evangelists in uh, the former association uh, that were the top leaders, yet some of them did not have the fear of God. And they were never conquered by God. And it's to always choose, it says in Proverbs, the first chapter, about the wicked, the foolish. They did not choose the fear of the Lord, the fear of the eternal. I hope that's something you, you, you choose. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 11. In all these things you prove yourself to be clear in this matter. So during this time of self-examination, let's pray that we can bring forth the fruits of godly sorrow. Remember Job's repentance. I won't turn there, but you're familiar with Job 42 and verse 6, when he said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, those of you who are adult and those who are accountable for your lives before God, have you ever really repented that deeply? Have you ever come to the place where even the Apostle Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? I thank God that it shall be through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you ever come to the place as Job did? I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's something, brethren, that all of us must answer. So number one of ten different areas of examination is repentance. And I'll move more quickly over the other ones. Prayer. Examine your pattern and practice of prayer. Are you instant in prayer and pray without ceasing? Bible study. Do you read the Bible daily? Fasting. When was the last time you fasted? <laughs> well, the last time you fasted, you're right in the midst of it right now. Number four is love, or number five, I guess it is, love for the brethren. How much love have you expressed toward the brethren during this past year? Examine yourself Number six, with progress in overcoming. The days of unleavened bread teach us the need to overcome self, Satan, and society. Have you made any progress in overcoming this past year? The next area of examination, growth in the new covenant. Have you allowed God to write his spiritual law on your heart and on your mind? You read Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10 about the new covenant. God writes his laws on our hearts and on our minds, but we have to cooperate in that process. Have you energetically sought to internalize the Ten Commandments as a way of life? The next area of examination, tithes and offerings. Have you been faithful in paying your tithes to God this past year? Have you been faithful in giving offerings? Be honest with yourself. Stealing from God is a serious matter. The next one, number nine out of the ten areas of self-examination, the admonitions of Revelation chapters two and three. These chapters give us a special way to examine ourselves spiritually. Christ reveals the strengths and weaknesses of the seven churches. Notice that God challenges us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural, Revelation 2 and verse 7. 
So one way of examining ourselves is reading through Revelation 2 and 3 and seeing, do I have I lost my first love as he challenges the Ephesus church? So examine yourself with the admonitions of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And finally, number 10, support of God's work. How zealous are you for God's work? And, of course, that will be the major admonition in the next part of the sermon. So uh, what is the result of your self-examination? You should see your human nature clearly, and there's the need to overcome, and you see your shortcomings and flaws, and you should identify weaknesses that you need to overcome. And finally, seeing your inadequacies, you should be more deeply dedicated to recognize your need for a living Savior and our living High Priest at the right hand of God, Christ Jesus our Lord, whoever lives to make intercession for us, it says in Hebrews 7, verse 25. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. That's in John 15, in verse 5. But then on the other hand, we have also Christ's promise in Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So at baptism, we made a major commitment. We actually made a covenant with God at that time. We counseled with a minister to read Luke 14 to us. So let's just take a look at Luke 14. Um, those of you who are contemplating baptism uh, need to read this over and think about it very carefully. We counsel students or members or prospective members who are thinking about being baptized. And why, why, are you, why do you want to be baptized? Well, I guess I've been good all my life. <laughs> I don't need to be baptized. Uh, no, you realize that you have the death penalty over you because you have sinned. And the wages of sin is death, as it tells us in Romans 6.23. Luke 14, and we'll start with uh, verse 25. Luke 14 and verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now again, we explain many times, and uh, Mr. Wester did recently in a sermon, uh, it's been loved less by comparison. In fact, uh, Matthew's parallel account said, do you love Christ more than father, mother, wife, brother, husband, and children? And your own life also. That's a priority, brethren. I think some are missing at this time, uh, time in life. They're not looking to the great priorities that Christ has set before us. And realize that we are bought with a price, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are his. So a test of loyalty. Do you love Christ more than you love your son or daughter? Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, but that was at God's direct command. Most of the most moving historic event there in Genesis, the 22nd chapter. And do you love your position, job, personality, more than Christ, the Savior of the world? And more on those choices a little later. The last Sabbath, 
um, August 8th, Mr. Wallace Smith gave the sermon at an overlooked aspect of faith. He pointed us to Deuteronomy 17, where God determines how matters of controversy are solved. They are solved through his appointed, divinely appointed servants. God has appointed his servants to make judgments. Why? To preserve the unity of the church, just as the Acts 15 conference uh, uh, demonstrated. So Mr. Wesson covered that subject thoroughly in his sermon last week, A Time of Distress. Now that sermon was for the United States and Canada, uh, but it will be posted later, and I uh, urge all of you from around the world, when that sermon is posted, uh, that you access it as well on our lcd.org website, A Time of Distress. Uh, be sure he, he covered the matter of making judgments and how the, the, the church is organized and administered. So be sure to review that sermon later on when it's posted on the church website. Today, God backs up the judgments of his servants. We need to have that aspect of faith to submit to God's administration and his work. Turn to Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews 13. Here's a matter of responding to God's administration in his church. Hebrews 13. I remember many years ago, one minister who was, was rather, I guess, reluctant to follow God's government. He wanted to be his own boss and not submit to the leadership in the church. Anyway, Hebrews 13, verse 7. He was reading this. Remember those who have the rule over you. Oh, the margin says not have the rule over you. It's who are the guides. So he was trying to put down the whole matter of authority and or administration within the church. Remember those who are the guides. Okay, we'll go along with that. Are they the guides or not the guides? Remember those who are the guides, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow the faith of Jesus Christ in doing the work and the commission that he's given his church, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So, but, but let's take a look at verse 17. Obey those who are the guides you want to put in there rather than have the rule over you. Obey those who are the guides and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, the whole concept, brethren, of submissiveness is so important. When you were baptized, you submitted. And when you are anointed for healing and someone lays hands on your head, a minister lays you are submitting to the very authority and government of God. And you're doing that submission in faith. So God gives us the, the, the concept of cooperating, of submitting and obeying those that have the rule over you. Mr. Armstrong used to talk about the kingdom of God. as, And he would say, and I've heard him say this on the radio program, uh, an old radio program I heard recently, he said, the kingdom of God is the government God. And we can also say the kingdom of God is the family of God. 
So we can say, number one, the kingdom of God is a family of God. Number two, it's the government of God. It's both. And so Mr. Weston challenged us in the sermon of July 25th, faith to be a light in a darkened world. He asked us, and I hope you'll see that sermon when it's later posted, uh, faith to be a light in a darkened world. That was Mr. Weston's sermon of July 25th. And he challenged us with two questions. He said, ask yourself, do I have the faith to believe John 18:36? Because so many of our brethren may get caught up in the politics and the trends and the so-called conspiracies of this world and, and almost try to manipulate or try to support uh, what, what those trends are. And yet God is in charge, and we need to always remember that. Are we getting caught up in the politics of this world? We need to watch and pray and ask for God's intervention in the world. So I encourage you to read uh, Dr. Meredith's uh, booklet, uh, Prophecy Fulfilled, uh, God's Hand in World Affairs. It has some uh, out-of-date information in it, but the principles in this are so powerful. And, of course, uh, fits right in with the sermonette by Mr. Rod McNair and the watchman. Uh, we are the watchman, and we need to fulfill that responsibility in Ezekiel 33. So I encourage you to read Dr. Meredith's booklet, uh, Prophecy Fulfilled, God's Hand in World Affairs. The second question was, Mr. Weston challenged us was to ask ourselves, do I have the faith to trust Christ to rule and guide the church, his church, the body? So just as God organized ancient Israel with divinely appointed leaders, he has actively done that in our age today. If you've not proved where Christ is powerfully working to fulfill the Great Commission, you need to pray and ask God to help you to find out where that is being done. Now, how can you know? Matthew 7, 20. Therefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. So what Church of God groups are fulfilling the great commission that Christ gave the church? I'll comment on that later. Some of you have written in support of the 17 Council of Elders led by Mr. Wesson, and that support means so much to us. We appreciate all your brethren who are praying for us and praying for the church around the world. Some few have been bothered by uh, some of the directives and uh, they've been so bothered so easily when well, they shouldn't have been. So these Council of Elders men have lived through the challenges and they've experienced decades of service in God's church. And by the way, the number of years of ministerial experience on the Council of Elders is more than 500 years. So that's a lot of experience. And we know that several of us have had 50 years in the ministry already. So consider their biblical position given by Jesus Christ, and they give guidelines for the benefit of the church. And also realize, brethren, that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's in Romans 14, verse 10. But turn to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, 2 Corinthians 5. And here again, he repeats that, that, uh, that challenge to us, or that, that, that prophecy. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Second Corinthians 5 verse 10. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So how are you going to answer the question when some people have gone aside when I wonder what they will answer when Christ tells them that they have not fulfilled or supported the Great Commission, and he asks them, why did you choose to join a group that doesn't put its top priority in fulfilling my commission to the world, to preaching my gospel to the people of the world? What will they answer? I hope all of you know that you are before the judgment seat of Christ and that you are fulfilling his work and fulfilling his will. So Christ expects his followers to respond to his directions. He expects us to be good disciples and to follow the divinely appointed leaders. Turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians 4. Who are the leaders that Christ has appointed? Ephesians 4 and verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now I remember one sermon by Dr. Meredith, it's so inspiring, that it was actually titled, uh, The Stature and the Fullness of Christ, something along that, that title. So we must all grow and be conformed to the very image of Christ. How are we going to do that? Are you willing to submit and learn from those whom Christ has put as our leaders? The Bible, the mind of God in print, gives us these several instructions. In the 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, we turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 16, and he gives us a further emphasis on this concept of submission. 1 Corinthians 16th chapter, and starting in uh, verse 15. I urge you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. So we need to be devoted and need be, uh, to, the, to the church and to follow his instructions. So God has pointed us, pointed ministers in the church, as it said in Ephesians 4, uh, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And I might remind you that we do have the official statement of fundamental beliefs on the LCG website. Just scroll down to the word about, and uh, then you can find also uh, the sevenfold commission of the church, as well as the official statement of fundamental beliefs. And I challenge you, how many of those 29 subsections in the fundamentals of belief do you agree with? And I hope that you agree with all all of them, 26, I believe. 
So anyway, the, the Bible is God's mind and print, and we need to follow it and submit ourselves to it. And we give thanks to God, as it says in Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. I submit my, to my wife when she asked me to do something within, within God's law. There was a, uh, tell you a little story, some, some of you already heard me tell this story before, but we were on a church visit and we were in a motel and we have a little uh, manicure set where you work on your fingernails and so forth. And my wife asked me, oh, Dick, uh, do you have the uh, manicure set? I looked into my suitcase and I grabbed it and threw it to her and she caught it within five seconds. That started my internal rule. I made a rule for myself. Whenever my wife asks me anything, I want to try to get it to her within five seconds. So submitting to one another in love, as it tells us. Turn to uh, 1 Peter, the uh, second chapter. Of course, it tells us in Ephesians 5.22, uh, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let's turn to James 4, James the fourth chapter. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. James, the fourth chapter. James 4. Mr. Armstrong called these the two initiatives. James, the fourth chapter, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. And others who think they're submitting to God, uh, but rationalize and deceive themselves. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Yes, one of the reasons we're fasting is because we want to make sure that we recognize the devices of Satan, and he keeps attacking the church, attacking the church. But Christ is there to save us and to defend us, and we need to do our part. But resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Initiative number one. Initiative number two. Verse eight. James 4, verse 8, draw near to God, is what we're doing here in this fast day. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's his promise. I claim that promise. So, brethren, we have those, those two initiatives. Mr. Weston, in his World Ahead uh, July 30th announcement, said, I have called for a church-wide fast for the Sabbath of August 15th to resist Satan as he strives to do us harm and to draw near to God, who is our firm foundation. So yes, we are striving to stick to God and draw near to God. First Peter 2. Turn to First Peter 2. For some people, it's very difficult. This concept of submitting, cooperating, no, you need to do what I say, you know, rather than I'm going to cooperate and submit to one another in the fear of God. First Peter 2, in verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, we're talking about the Roman Empire back in the first century, or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. He tells us to submit 
ourselves to every ordinance of man. And then 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. You all, yes, yes all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. We thank God for his wonderful words. And he goes on to say, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, 1 Peter 5, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So why is the work here in God's church and around the world producing effectively? We only produce effectively if we are serving with a humble attitude and a cooperative attitude to our Savior. God has blessed the work in a remarkable way. And you'll be seeing the regional directors give encouraging reports in the feast film coming up this coming feast, the Behind the Work video, and the fruits of God's workers and servants are, are clear from around the world. But the greatest assurance and faith that we have in this end time comes from our Savior, and from our relationship to our Savior and our Father in heaven, Christ, and our Savior, Christ Jesus. So strengthen your commitment. Can you now say, I'm willing to give my life for my Savior? Can you say, I have made a commitment according to Romans, the 12th chapter. Let's turn there. Romans, the 12th chapter. We've read these scriptures before, but on this fast day, it's a good time to meditate on this special scripture, Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you there, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So to summarize the second perspective, strengthen your commitment. And Jesus gave us the most important goal in life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We need to strengthen our commitment and make sure that we are willing to grow spiritually, willing to examine ourselves, willing to repent, willing to overcome and to be conformed to the image and the character and the nature of Christ, as it tells us in Romans 8 and verse 29. The third perspective today we want to consider is to fulfill Christ's commission. At the beginning of the sermon, I emphasized the great responsibility we have as a church of God. That Christ gave the church a great commission and the power to fulfill that mission. And on our journey to the kingdom, we must not fall by the wayside. We must focus on the goal, and we must keep moving forward. Turn to, well, I won't turn there. You know the scripture, but I'll just read it to you. Mark 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we already read Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, make dis disciples of all the nations. And we realize that 
We have church members in over different 80 different countries. Some, many of them are scattered and don't have an opportunity to attend a local fellowship or congregation. But we have brethren from every ethnic group, every language, uh, all the continents around the world. So we pray for one another. Mr. Weston asked Mr. Rod McNair to write this week's co-worker letter for the United States. Our regional directors will also be writing this week's co-worker letter for their respective regions around the world. And in the co-worker letter that uh, we'll be receiving here in the United States next week from Mr. McNair, he wrote the following, quote, Since the beginning of the month of July 2020, God has opened doors in 11 new television stations. Also, our mail processing department reports that last month was the biggest July in six years in terms of literature sent out with 133,976 booklets, magazines, and letters mailed. Thank you for your loyal financial support of God's work, especially in this time of chaos and disruption. So here we have the good news that even out of our mailing department here in, in Charlotte, uh, for the month of July, mailed over 133 pieces of mail. And I'll share one more encouraging news later on, but first let's consider the question, what is the greatest priority in God's church? Is it to prepare the bride? Is that our greatest priority? Is it to organize the greatest living youth camp and adventure program? Is it to multiply the church's living education program? Is it to honor Ambassador College's reputation? Well, all of these goals are very good goals if they do not supersede the most important and primary goal that Christ has given us. Years ago, uh, one minister in the Big Sandy, Texas, uh, boldly stated in the college forum, what is the work of God? The work of God is Ambassador College. No, he was sadly mistaken. He took one of the good projects of God's work and put it as a higher priority than the commission that Christ has given us. I hope that none of you, brethren, are, are making that mistake. They're all good things to do. Like a toe, like we have to make that decision. As we already pointed out in Luke, the 14th chapter. We love our father and mother. We love our brothers and sisters, our children. But, as it says in Matthew 10, verse 37, Matthew 10, verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In Luke's account, of course, we saw that he mentioned brothers and sisters and our own life also. So honoring our parents is the fifth commandment. But do you love them more than Jesus Christ? And are you devoted to some aspect of God's work more than Christ's priority for doing the work? What are your priorities? I hope, brethren, that it is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom to the world. That was what Christ did. You read Mark, the first chapter, and he went about preaching the coming kingdom of God and telling people to repent. So what is your priority? I hope you make it a priority of supporting the preaching of the gospel. 
Do you make a priority of watching the Tomorrow's World telecast, for example? Now, some of you may not technically be able to, but those of you who have that ability, do you watch the telecast as a priority? You need to be sure to watch Mr. Weston's telecast airing this week, Jeremiah's Amazing Commission, and it's offering the booklet, The United States and Great Britain in Prophecy. Do you make a priority of responding to the leadership of God's church? During this fast day, brethren, will you strengthen your commitment to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And will you also strengthen your commitment to fulfill the Great Commission with God's help? Most of us are passionate to fulfill the mission that Christ has given us. Dr. Meredith had that passion, and he outlined the biblical missions Christ has given us. You can find this sevenfold mission in the livingchurchofgod.org website. This is uh, what you'll find if you go to the Living Church of God website. As I said before, go down to the scrolling at the bottom for about, and you'll find the sevenfold commission of God's church. They're all biblically based. And some say, oh, well, <laughs> that, that, no, Dr. Meredith didn't have the prerogative. Oh, yes, he did have the prerogative, and they are biblically supported and biblically based. So I hope that you're fulfilling those commissions. And it, it's number one, so I already read. I'll, I'll just read them to you. One, preach the gospel of the kingdom in the true name of Jesus Christ. There are others out there preaching a false Christ, but he preached the coming kingdom of God and called for repentance. Number one, preach the gospel of the kingdom in the true name of Jesus Christ. Number two, preach the end time prophecies and the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish people. We heard in the sermonette by Mr. Rod McNair that we have a mission as a watchman. And thank you for that sermonette, Mr. McNair. And number three, feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. And we already read about that stature of Jesus Christ earlier. So God is blessing his church around the world. And we are striving to fulfill those missions. But let me share you some further good news, as I already mentioned from the coworker letter. But also in 2020, the English edition of Tomorrow's World magazine circulation jumped 9.4%. Now, this was the current Tomorrow's World magazine, the July-August 2020 issue. And, of course, Mr. Weston's uh, powerful article, The Perfect Storm. And I hope all of you have read that. The circulation here on uh, page 4 is listed as 339,000. And the upcoming... Uh, issue September October uh, jumps up to 391,000. I better check that uh, that amount. Yes, it jumps up to 371,000. So the increase from last month to this month is 9.4 percent, from 339,000 up to 371,000. And in the year's time, the circulation has increased by 30 percent. And as Mr. Weston mentioned, it's not that we want circulation, we want good readership. And so we send renewals, and we ask people if they have not responded in about three years' time, um, are, do you still want to receive our subscription? And uh, about 10 or 15% will, even after three years of unresponsive, uh, unresponsiveness. So even in the face of renewed efforts, 
the number of subscribers continues to climb. So I hope, brethren, that you're regularly reading Tomorrow's World magazine and following where Jesus Christ is leading. Years ago, I would always set a priority when I was back in Pasadena and Ambassador College and for all the years following, I set a priority of reading the editorials of Mr. Armstrong and then later by Dr. Meredith and now by Mr. Weston. You read those editorials because you want to know where is Jesus Christ leading? And of course, be sure to read the up-to-date information and articles in both the Living Church News and Tomorrow's World magazine. We also publish Tomorrow's World magazine in three other languages. Uh, their circulation as of August 2020 is as follows. A Spanish magazine, 23,500. That's a 13, 18% growth in just six months. The French edition of Tomorrow's World magazine, 8,500 subscribers, increased by 10% growth in just six months. The Afrikaans edition, 1,500 subscribers, increased by 7% in just six months. So God is giving us growth. You might turn to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. So we have a work to do. We plant, we, some people sow, some people water. That's what the Apostle Paul said, but who gives the increase? 1 Corinthians 3, and starting with verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. For the first seven months of 2020, we received thousands of requests for our booklets and other literature. But the most requested booklet was Dr. Douglas Winnell's booklet, Biblical Principles of Health. As Mr. Wesson pointed out, God clearly directed the timing of the semi-annual offer which was decided long before COVID-19 pandemic. And as of August 2020, we have received more than 36,000 requests for this timely and inspiring booklet. One of the most influential literature offers that helped me personally back in 1960 when I first became acquainted with the work was the Ambassador Bible Correspondence Course. And even today, we believe that tomorrow's World Bible Study Course helps subscribers move along with spiritual understanding so that they can become potential members of God's church. In the first seven months of 2020, about 40,000 have requested lessons one through four, and that's just in the United States alone. That is wonderful news, because this is not just reading an article. This is a study course. 40,000 in the first seven months of 2020 have requested Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course. Well, we pray that they'll all study it, and uh, as God calls them, to become converted. So what a joy it is to fulfill God's great commission, because he tells us in Matthew 10 and verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. It tells us in Revelation 3 and verse 7 that Christ is the one who opens and shuts doors. And we thank him for the open doors for the various media. In July of 2020, 
we added 10 new broadcast stations and four new network times that included Z Living, as well as a new airtime on CW Plus and WGN. Tomorrow's World Telecast is now broadcast on 120 television stations worldwide in seven different languages. And I think some of you don't realize that Tomorrow's World Telecast goes out in seven different languages, some with a voiceover, some with uh, subtitling. But uh, those seven languages are English, Spanish, French, German, Russian, Ukrainian, and Dutch. Uh, perhaps you've seen our headquarters presenters seemingly speaking Spanish on, on the website El Mundo de Mañana. Uh, the voiceover work is so good that viewers do not know that we are not really speaking Spanish. Brethren, I hope you regularly watch the telecast and make it one of your spiritual priorities. Uh, some of our telecasts have been censored in Europe or Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and and here in the United States. The prophet Isaiah tells us, as uh, Mr. McNair read in <clears throat> Isaiah 58, verse 1, Cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgressions in the house of Jacob their sins. And so they've censored some of our telecasts because they don't want to be told their sins. But as of July 2020, the telecasts for the United States and Canada uh, produce an average weekly response of 2,961. And that's a 21% increase in the average weekly response from only six months ago. So we've actually increased the response in six months by two, by 21%. Uh, the telecast also, and this is interesting, produce more than a thousand new subscribers each week. Uh, it's now an average of 1,180 new subscribers a 19% increase from only six months ago. So thank you, brethren, for your support, prayers, and engagement in the preaching of the gospel. But most of you are familiar with Christ's instruction in Matthew 9. Turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter. Matthew 9, and verse 37. Well, we started up back in... Uh, Verse 35, Matthew 9 and verse 35. Then Jesus went out all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion, moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And how, how we yearn for those people, multiple Hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions and even now are starving, oppressed, and even the victims of genocide in some places around the world. I mean, we want God's kingdom to come. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Are you doing that? I do it every day. You want to follow instructions. Pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We thank God for the faithful servants in God's church who are laboring in that harvest. So we need to make sure that we are wholeheartedly dedicated to doing God's will and his work. 
That was Christ's mission. What was his attitude? What was his heart? Do you know John 4, 34? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What is your priority in life? Today, the church and its members are humbling itself before themselves, before the creator of the universe and his son, the savior of the world and the head of the body, the church. We know that we are weak human beings. We also know that we are begotten children of God called to grow in godly character by doing his work and by doing his will. Those who want to prepare the bride are short-circuiting it because the only way to prepare the bride is to do the work that Christ has given the bride to perform. And so I hope, brethren, that you are fulfilling that work and that will. We need to remember the lessons from the historic church challenges. And we need to take courage in Christ's power, powerful promise, I will build my church and the great gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We need to examine ourselves to determine to change, to grow, and to overcome. We need to strengthen our commitment to the truth, to the government of God, and to the work of God. And we need to put our hearts into the Great Commission and fulfill the work Christ has given us as his body. When God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, you want to turn back finally to Exodus, the 14th chapter. They were trapped, of course, by the Red Sea. And what did God tell them? Exodus, the 14th chapter, and verse 15. And the Eternal said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. That's the same message for us today, brethren. It took courage for the Israelites to walk through the middle of this Red Sea with walls of water on, on both sides. We need to go forward with courage, not stumbling over controversies, but exercising the faith to fulfill the Great Commission. Brethren, thank God and Christ that they are with us and that we are submissive to them. We are weak, but we have been called to fulfill a mission to prepare the world, the church, and ourselves for the coming kingdom of God. We look forward to 2021 and the inspiring programs, including the Living Church Youth Camp, the Living Adventure Camp, and Living Education. So let's examine ourselves learn the lessons from church experience and challenges, let's strengthen our commitment, and let's fulfill Christ's great commission. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul said, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember, God is love, and he is in control in spite of all the chaos in the world today. We need to go forward with courage and we need to keep moving not just on our own faith, brethren, but we need to be keep moving by the faith of Jesus Christ, fulfilling his work, fulfilling his will, 
right into the kingdom of God. 